Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you today. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, um, whether you are here in the house or joining us online. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and what a beautiful day it is out there. It, it looks like our teens had a miserable time this week, you know, it's like the whole video, just really sad. <laughs> no, it's great. Awesome week. Incredible week. We want to thank all our youth leaders for what they brought to the table in that, and just we're really praising God for being able to do the camp. Um, after last year, especially, and then not only that, just the, the awesome time all the, all the kids had. We're looking forward to a great fall in, in youth ministry um, here at church, and so it's good to review that. Thank Pastor Kyle and his great team uh, for the youth ministry and what they bring. Hey, here we are. We're closing in at the end of Acts here um, as we move towards the, the middle and, and tail end of the book, uh, and not only the book, but our summer. A um, couple weeks left. And uh, we are going to go on a voyage this morning. And uh, because of that voyage, I thought it'd be a pretty fitting title to call this part of the series Voyagers. Ready, willing, and able. And the aspect of ready, willing, and able we wanted to focus on is are we ready to take a leap of faith? Are we willing to take a leap of faith? And what we've been leaving up in the air throughout this series is are we able to take a leap of faith? And, and, and when we talk about these leaps of faith, as we walk to the edge and say, God, I'm going to step out. I, I, I'm going I'm I'm to go. I'm going to jump into your arms. We understand something about these leaps of faith. There's a decision that we have to wrestle with. And it's a mindset. Am I going to, am I going to operate on fear? Or am I going to operate on faith? And see, faith is thrown around, right? And faith is thrown around. It's kind of this abstract idea sometimes. Oh, they have faith or they have faith. And we wanted to try to compartmentalize a little bit during this series. And you've been faithful with us. And in doing so, we've been labeling some of the faiths we have to have as we go through life. Because we're going to get out to that edge. And fear is going to be there and faith is going to be there. And fear wants to hold on. Fear wants to have some, some assurance. But faith goes, I'm going to trust you and jumps. And, and it's been great getting the letters and the feedback um, from people who have been really responding to faith be, because we are in a society that is bombarding you all, including me, with fear. I mean, this is fear, 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 fear. And, and when there's so much fear all around us, it is so refreshing. And you'll notice this. If you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, the Holy Spirit just loves to hear about faith. You'll just feel a, a soothing element to hearing faith. And so what we've done throughout this part of the series is we've kind of compartmentalized faith a little bit so it wouldn't be so abstract. Maybe faith. Maybe faith moves forward. We looked at Jonathan. Fear asks, what will I lose? I'm going to jump. Oh, we have so much to lose. We have so much to lose. Faith goes, we have so much to gain and jumps. We're, we're furnace faith. Fear says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leap, but first I'd like to know this and God, I could use a couple signs and only if this happens and maybe if this happens, furnace faith says, even if it doesn't happen, I'm going. And, and then awesome faith. Fear kind of gets up to the wall and people start going, what are you doing? What's your, what's your problem? What's all this? And fear kind of rescinds a little bit and says, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fall, but, but, but faith gets a resolve when it's mocked. Faith gets a resolve when people challenge it to not persevere. Faith says, I'm not coming off this wall. We saw Nehemiah in awesome faith, blameless faith. Fear goes, you know what? Maybe you could get away with this. I mean, nobody's going to see it. But Joseph was our blameless faith. And we saw that faith thinks God's going to see this. I don't want to do this, not because people might not see it, but because God will see it. And he chose a blameless faith. And then altar faith, oh, Abraham and Isaac. Fear feels God's going to withhold something. I just feel like God's going to withhold something. But faith hiked up that hill with his son Isaac, saying God will provide. That's what faith says. God's going to provide. And then, and then last week, Esther. Fear bemoans. Oh man, I'm here for such a time as this. I'm at my work for such a time as this. I'm in society for such a time as this. Faith says, maybe I'm here. Maybe I'm at this job. Maybe I'm his brother. Maybe 
she's my daughter. Maybe he's my husband for such a time as this. And it brings him courage and valiance. But today, as we're narrowing in on getting to Rome, I want to look at a different faith, and I got to encourage you folks, I have really felt the Lord through prayer wanting me to take a certain angle that I wasn't going to necessarily take this week, but I just felt really guided in prayer to go take that angle. So I believe, I believe it's very possible, and I've already been reassured this after the first service, that somebody here is going through something like this and really needs this message. And so today, I want to dedicate it to anybody out there who might be going through a storm. Now, I'm not talking about weather, per se, but I could be. For many watch in areas where raging fires are coming near their homes. But I could also be talking about emotional storms. I could also be talking about a physical storm. Maybe an ailment or a test result you're awaiting for or you've gotten it. And, and I want to talk about storms because I think there's something about faith in a storm that God wants to use. And I want to be encouragement to you. So if you're younger here today and maybe you haven't seen a whole lot of storms, eventually we all know storms come. And maybe you're younger here today and you have had a storm. I had a young girl in my youth ministry when I was a youth pastor who suffered through cancer terribly. Now God has used it. She's now authored a book and everything, but it was quite a storm. And so young people, you can have massive storms as well. But today I want to talk about some of the keys of storm faith. So, so, so who are we going to go to in, in, in scripture to look at the faith of someone going through a storm? Started thinking through that. Who, who, who had a storm uh, or, or something coming on the horizon? Because what I want to mark about storm faith is storm faith is a faith that holds up despite discouragement surrounding you. Storm faith holds up despite difficulty in circumstances or even in living or even your health. Storm faith holds up even when it sees peril on the horizon. How many of us, when we feel a storm is coming, emotionally, physically, health crisis, whatever, we're crippled by that thought that this is going to happen in the future? How many of you have spent, it's always right, isn't it always like 2 a.m. to about 5 a.m.? Isn't that the devil's hours? Um, if you work all night, I'm not talking about you, okay? Keep working. <laughs> but it just seems there are certain times of night, doesn't it? Where... where those storms just rage so loudly. I want to go to a time period where God described it as a time period where every man did what was right in their own eyes. That's literally how God described the earth. He looked on mankind and he said, everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. This isn't right. I mean, we don't have the commandments per se yet. We certainly don't have scripture yet, but we read from scripture written about those time periods that this was a time when every man did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, there were cities like the city. There, there was this city called Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the sexual perversity of that city was at levels we don't fully understand. God saw. It even says that during that time, men's minds, mankind's minds was on evil continually. It was a time of great killing, sexual perversity, um, evil abounding. And God says in scripture that I'm going to blot this out. I'm, I'm going to flood this place out. I'm going to use the earth I created to actually flood it all out. And, and if that occurs, nobody lives and, and, and you and I are here. And a savior does not come. I mean, we're, we're wiping this all out, humankind. But, but see, God always provides a pathway for salvation. And it's interesting. Isn't it interesting in a world where God goes, this, this is awful what I'm looking at. He spots Noah. And it says Noah found favor 
in God's eyes. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What is this Noah like? In fact, the word of the Lord came to Noah. He's going to bring a storm. He's flooding out the earth. He's wiping this out. He's starting anew, and he's got a message for Noah. I have determined, God said to Noah, to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them and cover it, and I will destroy them with the earth. Therefore, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Noah. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above. And set the door of the ark on in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant, my promise with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground, and according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to keep you, into you, to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Hold up. Noah... I'm going to bring a storm that will bring floods that will wipe out everything on earth and I want you to build a shimmy shawl. What's a shimmy shawl, you might say? Well, that's what Noah heard when he heard ark. There was no such thing as an ark. He wasn't like, oh, oh yeah, my neighbor has an ark. Okay, we'll build one of them too. Build an ark. Build a what? Build a shimmy shawl. Make it big. Make it big. You know, I call this my shimmy shawl. My first message as a lead pastor, now over a decade ago, what? I preached a message about faith because I knew it was going to take a lot of faith um, to to do what God was calling me to do in my ministry. And it was stretching me, and I was fearful, and I knew I was going to need faith. Like, Chris, you're going to be the point guy now, and you got this? No, I don't have this. And I knew I needed faith. And so this is my ark, you know. And for all of you ark encounter people, calm down. It's not what it looked like. It looked like, stop. Just, just, we're glad you made the trip. We're going to make it someday. But, but this was my shimmy shawl. And I say that because, but okay, okay, I want you to build it. 510 some feet, okay? Give you the idea, you know, this is, this, is, um, this is about 108 feet, I believe the gym is. So five of these, right? The, the, the ceiling height, I think, is 28 or 29 feet, I was told by our construction guys. So, so we're going, we're going um, 45 feet. I know the gym is 50 feet to there, so we could probably get to the back wall with 75 feet. I mean, and if you've, you've seen the replica that's put out in Kentucky that, that you see, this is a massive ship. Massive. I mean, picture Noah. All right, build an ark. And you know he went out there the next day. Okay, I'm going to stake this out. Oh, my word. Like, this... This is going to be really big. And keep in mind, it has not rained yet in society. God's going to send rain. It's going, to, it's going to flood. I mean, this guy, this guy's asked to build this massive thing. Okay, and I'm going to bring animals in of every kind, not species, but kind. They will be able to mate and reproduce afterwards because the mark is all about reproduction afterwards. Bring your husband and their wives. I'm going to put all this in. There's going to be three decks. And I'm going to build this thing. And Does everybody remember how long it took him to build it? 
Anybody ever work on a 100-year project? How many of you are done in three weeks? That's about your max. Hey, the class is eight weeks. I can barely hand in all my assignments for the eight-week semester, right? 100 years. And on top of that, you know, there's a lot of conjecture based on really solid interpretation. I would think he was made fun of. That's not written in the biblical account, but it makes sense that people be going, what on earth is this? But I also think how ingenuitive Noah must have been because I know construction guys, I know woodsmen and work, work, they work with the wood craft and they'll make jigs and other things to actually help them build something. I mean, how much did Noah build besides the ark in order to hoist things and build things and put things together? Oh, and the mind goes crazy. Was God advancing technology by asking this massive ship with a storm on the horizon? It's coming, Noah. I'm growing bring a flood. Start building. And Noah's building and building and building and building. The storm hit. For 40 days and 40 nights, the storm raged on earth that the water rose above the highest mountains, scripture tells us. And that boat built out of gopher wood. I was, with a, I was with a landscaper this week. He goes, I wish I could build with gopher wood. I don't know what it was like, but I bet gopher wood was awesome. All right. I just got Home Depot wood, you know. Gopher wood. Pitch inside and out. This, this ship holds itself together. Nautical engineers have said these are some of the most perfect dimensions for ship sailing. But you know what? The faith of Noah to build something that hadn't been built before, to build it massive, to build it despite rain, to build it with maybe not a ton of help. Knowing a storm's on the horizon teaches me something about storm faith. For you remember how long he was in the boat? Many people think 40 days and 40 nights. Scripture tells us he was in the boat approximately 12 months Till he came out, sent the bird out, grass came back in the, in the or excuse me, uh, a greenage came back in the mouth of the bird, comes back in. He goes out after the waters had fully receded. Some 367 possible, if it was a lunar calendar, possible days till Noah came out of the ark. And, and when he came out, God, God put a rainbow in the sky. Put a rainbow in the sky. And he said, I'm going to use this rainbow as a visible reminder to myself Did you know that? God's saying, this rainbow is going to remind me of something. What does a rainbow remind you of, God? The rainbow reminds me, despite man's sinfulness, I will be long-suffering and I will not do this kind of thing again. I won't flood it out again. I'll return. And when I come return, I'm going to be on a white horse with a victor's mouth. And and I'm coming in hot, if you were in our Revelation series. But, but... That rainbow, when I look at it, it'll remind me, I'm not going to do that again. Noah faith is storm faith. And Lord, I need that in times when everything around me is discouraging. Fear abounds, sin abounds, sin is bragged about even, Lord. And I have a difficult project ahead of me, difficult times ahead, and there's a storm on the horizon. And despite whether I warn people, they may not listen. Oh, the account of Noah is one of the most incredible, famous accounts of all time. And it also has its skeptics, even within the body of Christ. Did you know that? Be like Chris, you know, come on. You really believe Noah was in a boat? <laughs> I mean, right? And you know what's really hurt it? Some of our nursery stories, right? I mean, we got this like tub with a giraffe hanging out of it, like looking around, you know? And like, so we, and we paint them on our kids' walls in our nurseries, you know? 
I, I think it's Tim Hawkins, the comedian. He goes, you know, we paint this Noah. This is like the greatest, most horrific event in biblical account of death. And we are like, nobody paints the people outside on their kid's bedroom, you know? Like, here's all the people. They didn't get in in time, you know? Like, that, like, like this is not, like, and we made it like this kid's story, if you will. And I think that's part of the devil's purposes. This is an account of scripture. Can you really, Chris, can you? That's tough to get your hands around, you know? Well, let me ask you this. You all believe in Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, died and rose again the third day. Amen, I believe it. Bible colleges teach it, right? You believe in him? I mean, the Noah account, is it maybe more mythical and it's trying to teach a lesson, kind of like a parable? Do you think Jesus knows a name when he says it? If you believe in Jesus, I'm going to quote Jesus from Scripture, okay? About the Old Testament. He says, but concerning the day and the hour when I will return, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in a field, one's taken. Two men women grinding on the mill, and one will be taken, the other left. Therefore I say to you, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. I'm doing this. I have set all my faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is quoting Noah, I'm believing in Noah. Because if Jesus says it, I'm good. And I don't even need him to say it. I believe my scripture. And I believe that I have a Bible that is profitable in all its pages and can teach me righteousness and you can call it stupid faith. You can call it crazy faith. But I made a decision in my life. If I'm going to stand up in front of hundreds of people for the rest of my life, if I'm going to preach messages that are on record for the rest of my life, if I'm going to have thousands of sermons in my sermon file, I want to be a preacher that demonstrates faith. And so when I attack this scripture, I come at it with faith that I believe is God-given. For apart from faith, I can't even come to Christ. It's a gift for, from God because I can't boast that I did it. God called me. He put his Holy Spirit in me at the moment of salvation. And I am filled with a faith that many have in here who have a lot more degrees than people without faith. And so don't call it an education thing. There are brilliant people that sit within this congregation that believe with all their heart, soul, and mind in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and the accounts of all of Scripture. Why? What is it? What is it? It's faith. It's faith. And this day, we're going to be talking about storm faith because one of the things that people of God know who have faith, they know that it does not keep them from storms. They know that storms will come into their life. And they want to operate despite knowing a storm's coming, despite knowing that it might be difficult, despite being in the storm and facing all sorts of discouragement. They have this incredible faith, and we'll call it storm faith. It's the faith of a voyager. Heavenly Father, use our journey today into a massive storm to inspire us to have faith in you throughout any storm in life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the accounts of scripture that demonstrate faith, not perfect people by any means, but people of faith that you've illustrated, you've put in your scripture, that you've recorded in Hebrews to say these people demonstrate the faith that God is looking for in his kids. And apart from you, God, we can't do anything. So guide us today into the storm. 
For I believe there's somebody in this room who's facing the storm that you want to encourage today. So would you just use this messenger? I've got nothing to tell them. You talk to them and encourage them in their storm. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, Festus. Ah, he decided they should sail for Italy and they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. We all lean to our neighbor and go, oh my word, the Augustan, oh my word, the Augustan cohort. You, were you reading about this this week? Augustan cohort, okay? That is one of the premier Roman cohorts. Okay, so who is Paul? He is getting guided by like, he's, okay, he, he's getting taken to Italy by like the Navy SEALs here, okay? I mean, this is the, the Augustan cohort. On top of that, this is Julius who is recorded in other places they believe and historians believe this is the infamous Julius of the Augustan cohort. And that is who is going to take him to Rome for he appealed to Caesar. Now, they embarked a ship of Andromedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. And then we put to sea. So see, we, we, see that? We know Luke's on the boat. Accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So, so they got on this little boat, okay? It's not, a, not, not as big as some boats. This is more of like a coastal vessel. All right? And if you love nautical things, Luke really does too. And he really gets into this. Okay? Like Luke gives us a lot of detail of, of this voyage. Okay? And he starts by saying, we're on this coastal vessel, which is more of a port hopper along the Macedonian coast. And so we, we left Caesarea and we moved up to Sidon. So, so I'm going to jump into the text here and I'm going to read you this. And you can look at the map while I'm reading it to you. He said, the next day we put in at Sidon. Okay, so, so they harbored there. And then Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be careful. For so Julius, he's like this guy who's given a little grace to Paul. He's like, hey, go see your friends. Trust Paul. So a relationship you can see is already built because Paul's a prisoner. And Julius says, okay, go visit. So, and then putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. We stayed under the lee. Uh, lee is another term for uh, shelter, okay? So we stayed under the shelter of, of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Now, now let, me, let me just remind you something. Mediterranean winds, okay? They can come from anywhere and they are strong. They can get like gale force winds, especially in the Aegean Sea area. You see this area? Winds can really pour through here. In fact, Greece is struggling with forest fires right now. They're affecting homes, and the Mediterranean winds are not helping. What gets even worse is out here in the Sea of Adria, out here, there's these things called Euroquillos that can pop up, massive storms that come from nowhere. And so it's going to be dangerous because, remember, we want to get to Rome. This is where Paul's headed, okay? So they're just doing port hopping along here, but at some point they're going to have to get a larger vessel and sail through some of the most dangerous parts of the Mediterranean. And so these northwest winds slow their trip. And, and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia, okay, in Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So, so we know something about this ship from Alexandria. It's, a, it's more of a grain ship that would be in Myra. It's from the port of Alexandria, so it's going to be going to Italy. About 50 feet wide, so about the, the width of our, of our gym in here, about 44 deep and about 180 long, okay? So mm, a little bit longer than the gym here. Um, it could hold maybe 276 passengers, but that's not what it was for. These ships were for hauling grain, and so they'd be filled with grain and would just have a few passengers on them. So I don't want you to picture the ship full of a lot of people, but definitely enough people that would be taking the grain to Italy. And so it was not uncommon for people to jump onto these and go along. And so it says here in verse seven and eight, we sailed slowly for a number of days. Now, any of you, are any of you familiar with the term tacking? Sailboats can't go straight into the wind, so they use something called tacking. Um, they, they can drop the sail and go north, then they lift the sail and go south, north, all sorts of different things, dropping gears and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not a professional. If you're sitting there going, Chris, you're getting this wrong, I'm doing my best. Okay? But I, I should probably have drawn more of a heartbeat along here because they're going back and forth and back and forth. And this, this is stretching out the time of the trip. And Paul's in Luke saying, we, we traveled slowly. 
uh, with difficulty off of Snidus. So we get off to, uh, right off of Snidus here, and, and, and it's getting really difficult. And as the wind did not allow us to go any further, it seems the Aegean Sea started picking up. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. So we got under Crete to get under the weather here, and we got near Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Paul's describing this. It's getting more and more difficult, and we need to keep moving. We're in a larger vessel. We're now done under the shelter of Crete, and we find ourselves in Fair Havens, and it seems like they're just sitting there going, we got to wait for a good time to go. Um, they're watching the weather. You know, they would watch the stars. They would watch that. It's got to be a good time to go. Have you ever driven home and it's pouring and you're like, okay, the second it stops raining, we're going for it, right? And you get your, your door ready and you get out and then it just always seems to dump the second you get out anyway. You're just waiting for that moment. This is the idea, but on a whole nother scale. They're waiting for a moment where they can get across Okay, maybe they want to sail up here, get underneath the Lee of Achaia, and get across here into, into the Syracuse area. It's not New York, Syracuse, okay? Um, and, and then get up around here and into Rome. We don't know this, but we do see this. And scripture says this. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, you nudge your part, friend and say, man, the fast is almost over. What does that mean? You understand the fast would have been around October, so what this means is we are getting into the most dangerous sailing times to go out in front of the agency there can be. How many of you cruise? Any of you cruise? Are you used to cruise? Okay. Um, you know there's certain times of the year where cruise prices are down a little bit. And you think it's discount month, right? It's not that, right? You know it is. That's what's called hurricane season, right? And vessels know you can go, it's a discount, but you can also die. No, you probably won't die. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know. If you have tickets right now, you'll be fine. Just pray about it and maybe, maybe you shouldn't go. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Paul stands up and advises them. Now, what does Paul know? Corinthians tells us Paul has been in three shipwrecks. Now, I'm sure the one that might be coming, some of you read ahead, um, he's recording, but... Paul has been on the open sea before. This is not an inexperienced person, but he is a prisoner by measures. But we know he has a relationship with Julius because Julius is like, hey, go visit your friends. Come on back. We'll get going. Paul stands up and says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage, why we named this part of the series Voyagers, will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo. Oh, that'd be a shame. And the ship. Oh, you don't want to lose the ship. But our lives. Ooh. Guys. I got to warn you, I don't see this going well. We can't go out there in the middle of November in this vessel with the possibility of the storms. But, but Julius the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. I mean, come on, they're the experts, right? I mean, the experts are always right. Dramatic pause. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there. Has it been true of you? Isn't it? We don't want to stay in this port. This isn't a good port. I mean, we want to move forward. I mean, we want to get out to somewhere else. I mean, the hotels are better at the next place. Isn't it seem like discontent often leads us into decisions that are poor? A, a lack of contentment for where we're at can sometimes lead us into financial decisions that can lead us into relationship decisions. A lack of contentment. Isn't that where the enemy likes to work? Like, like oh, I want more than this. I want more than this. And sometimes we disguise it with really cool words like driven, and inspiring and, and, folk, and focus and words like that where it's really just discontentment. And we make decisions despite warnings to the contrary. Because the harbor was not suitable, 
to spend winter in the majority side to put out from sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. I mean, come on, Paul. All they really want to do is at least get to Phoenix. Oh, you should see the harbor at Phoenix. If we could get there, it'd be great. And so they set out in some of the most dangerous waters you can be in in that time of year. And I put in my notes, a voyager needs to be ready to forewarn people. If you're a child of God, part of your testimony needs to be forewarning. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about a mom going, hey, um, be smart out there. Don't drive too fast. You know, check your gas. I'm not talking about that. I mean, no dad should yell out, hey, bud, drive fast, take some chances. Anybody cut you off, give them the horn, go around them, all right? Let them know. I mean, we want to forewarn, and we do forewarn in life, and that's smart. Have any of you had a warning from someone who loved you, and you blew it off, and it went south on you? Don't point at people in the auditorium. Don't. don't. We've all done that. We've all done that. How many of you, you didn't get a warning from someone else, your own mind was saying, we probably shouldn't do this, and you ignored it and went ahead anyway. It was September 21st, 1938. In 1938, they didn't have meteorologists that were um, using satellites and, and different aspects they didn't have that. They would use boats that were out deep into the waters and they would signal back that they saw a storm out at sea. And, and so that's why oftentimes that so many people would die because they'd sail right into these storms from nowhere. And there was a storm building out at sea. And, and this storm, not naming, they weren't naming storms in the 30s, but this storm was headed right at Long Island. It's actually an East Coast storm that they thought was going to go out, out, out to sea. And, and, and even the warnings that were coming, they were kind of not fully grasped. But what was different about this storm, as you study the history of it, it was coming with 100 mile an hour winds. Now, now, if you're in meteorology, you're going, okay, that's a very strong storm. But what was interesting about this storm was, they've tracked it now that the storm itself was traveling 75 some miles an hour. Storms don't travel the speed of cars on a highway. And, and it's, the storm is barreling down the East Coast. And on top of that, the winds are another 100 miles. They said, they said the wall of water estimated at 40 feet high, which would be higher than this building, hit, hit that Long Island area and, and shoved debris to Montpelier, Vermont. I mean, this is unbelievable when you read about this thing. This massive storm, and what's crazy is sailors were going out with barometers. Now, barometers were things that would let you know some of these things. It was the best technology they had for the time period. Into that storm going, that's funny. It's a reading like a, like a hurricane. It's going, and they would just, they just sailed out into it, really kind of just blowing off the warnings. On top of that, there's some neat stories that always come out of these storms. There was a gentleman who bought a barometer that came to his mailbox. You would walk to your mailbox in town. It came to his mailbox September 21st in the morning. And he opened it up, and the, and the needle was pointed at 29. It's like, what? Shook it. Ah, this thing's broke. The storm was bearing down on the city that morning. He took it back to the store while his house was completely wiped out. Because he couldn't believe it or because he wouldn't believe it. How many people are going to get hit by a storm someday that the Lord promises is coming because they couldn't believe it or because they wouldn't believe it. I, I, am, I am convinced one day if the Lord returns, and, and let's just talk about the rapture for a minute spoken of in 1 Thessalonians. If that occurs, I am convinced there will be people that have sat in these pews that will be knocking on the doors looking for Pastor Doug and Pastor Chris and Pastor John. I am convinced of it. <laughs> Scripture has laid this out. Yet we move ahead despite warnings. Especially warnings like 
In the days when I'll return, it will be much like the days of Noah, when people will do whatever they want to do in their own eyes and celebrate it. As believers, knowing that, part of being a voyager is forewarning. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor. Okay, that's at least wisdom. They weighed the anchor and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. So these guys are moving ahead. Give them credit. They're not blowing out into the water. They're staying close because they're afraid of these winds, okay? And, and so they start moving along. But soon a tempestuous wind, I can't talk, tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. The in the original language called a Uroquillo or northeastern storm. The breeze went from a breeze to a violent wind that no ancient vessel on the Mediterranean could tack or face. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, Luke says, we gave way to it and were driven along. Anybody here ever been in a car that hit a sheet of ice? Fun, right? Have you ever been out of a control in a vehicle? I have some friends, they said they were driving down the road and, and, and the storm was developing and the car hit something in the middle of the road, ice or whatever, and they went around like this, the whole family, twice, and then the car like kind of caught and went. And my buddy said, my whole family was like this for like three minutes. <laughs> what just happened? I said, if you could zoom out, that would have looked awesome, right? Like, ooh, right? It's not fun to be out of control in a car. I, I've been out of control in a van that flipped over multiple times that left me upside down hanging by my seatbelt. It's not, not fun to be out of control. And they are completely out of control and running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. So it seems like there was a little dinghy with this boat that they could get up. That was their, that was their life vessel if they need to get out. And after hoisting it up, they, they used supports to undergird the ship. So it seems like they're tying things around the vessel because maybe the wood's starting to break apart and, and they're tying it around and securing it. Another nautical, um, smart move that they're making and then they them fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis. Oh, not Sirtis. They lowered gear and thus were driven along. Not Sirtis. See, see, you got to know something about something. It's called the shallows of Sirtis. Pull up the map. Here's Sirtis. There's shallows over here. Okay. And what happens is there is sand that has been blown off of, of these Northern African parts. The sand has been blown off into these shallows. And what happens is it's not secure. Okay. And it can, it can create these swells and ships would get caught into the shallows and there, and the ship would stick in the sand and then they would sink. It be like quicksand. So in the middle of the ocean, you're sailing along and boom, and what you think is deep waters, boom, the ship stops and then the ship just startless to go. And so the shallows were talked about. You can look at scriptural, you can look at non-scriptural accounts that talk about ancient sailing and the fear of the shallows. And we've got Paul and Luke and Julius and all the guys are going along aimlessly with a storm from the Sea of Adria and the LGC just bearing down on them and pushing them to the quicksands of Sardis. And since we were violently storm-tossed, probably throwing up over the side, right? They began the next day to jettison the cargo. Get some of this stuff out of here. We've got to get the ship lighter. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. Okay, now, now we're starting to give up hope. Because Luke says, with their own hands, they're throwing over food and opportunities to live. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, so this storm was just relentless, and no small tempest was upon us, all hope of our being saved was last abandoned. Have you ever been in a storm in your life where dismay started to creep in? You see, I learned something about storms here. They come suddenly, don't they? They're difficult, aren't they? they you begin to lose things in storms. Make no mistake. When a child of God goes through storms, there's loss, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's fear, there's dread, there's dismay. There's all these things that come into the child of God's life in the middle of a storm. And Paul's in the middle of a storm, and I wrote, not only did he was, he was willing and ready to be forewarning, but he also now has to be willing to be long-suffering. Long-suffering. I thought through the word I wanted to use here. 
Long-suffering carries the idea of, of dealing with something that's going to take a long time that, that in some ways you didn't have anything to do with. Have you ever been caught in someone else's storm? Moms, have you ever felt your children's storms are just as strong on you as they are on them? How about a, a, a father or mother you dearly love and they're in the middle of the storm and it's weighing on your heart. You feel the stress on your body. It's your storm too. But there's sometimes in life where we forewarn people and they ignore us. We say, you don't want to do that. Scripture says you don't want to do that. And they flat out ignore you and they walk into tremendous pain. And you hear them blaming God when they made the decision to walk into this tremendous pain. Yet, yet as children of God, as voyagers, we can't be like, what's wrong with you? We have to sometimes be long-suffering. And you're in a boat that's in the middle of the storm, not because of something you did, but because of the mistakes of the people around you. A voyager can't give up in those seasons of life. A voyager's got to keep building. I doubt it'll take 100 years, but keep building because a voyager needs to be long-suffering. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? He answered, why not? They're the only ones who can handle it. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. People are hurt now, we see. People are hurt. Loss all over the ship. Yet I urge you now to take heart. Take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. What? Paul, how do you know this? For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. I'm getting to Rome, guys. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So guys, you're going to make it too. So take heart. In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart. For I have faith in God, Paul says, that it will be exactly as I have been told. Oh, praise God. But we're going to run aground on an island. Wait, wait, what? What? This way, wait, wait, I mean, hey, it's going to be, we're going to make it, but we're going to crash. What? Don't say that to me on an airplane, okay? Hey, Chris, you're going to make it, but we are going to crash. What? But how many times is that the way storms are? We're going to make it, but it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be bad. It's going to take some long suffering. It's going to be bad. There's going to be injury. There could be loss. But you have a hope that lies within you. Will Paul be able to have storm faith? A faith that holds up when everyone around him is discouraged? A faith that holds up when this is going to be difficult and demand plotting? You're going to have good days and bad days. You didn't think there were some days where Noah possibly took whatever he was building with and said, forget this gigantic boat. I mean, there's going to be days where it's not fun. There's going to be days it hurts. It's going to be pain along the storm. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. What are you facing today? Is there a storm in your life going on? Maybe it's a storm of your own doing. Ask for forgiveness and mercy as soon as possible. I have a friend in Christ. He always says, Chris, I try to listen to his whispers so he doesn't have to yell. I like that. Try to listen to those whispers. Hey, hey, hey. So he doesn't have to yell. I'd rather avoid the storm if I can. But if I get one, I know he's with me. Oh, it's always about fear and faith when you're facing a storm. See, fear, fear hopes in experts. I put it in quotes. That's what fear places all its hopes in. Is there anything wrong with going to experts? No. Is there anything wrong with the listening expert? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you don't put your hope in that. You put your hope in God. He's the one who's ultimately sovereign and ultimately in control. How many of you have had an expert steer you wrong? It happens. How many of you have had an expert give you a prognosis for how long you were going to live, and you're still here. We put our hope, not in experts, although we should, I'm not sitting here going, don't, that, not that at all. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is put your hope in God. That's where faith goes. Fear is irrational in the tempest. We're all going to die. Oh my gosh, we're going to be, oh, it's awful. It's awful. Fear is irrational. Throw out stuff. 
okay, that kid too, go ahead, we gotta live. Fear only thinks about itself, doesn't care about anybody else. It'll walk into a room this size and go, I don't care if you all die, I wanna live, I wanna live. Fear is irrational in tempest. Faith is composed. Faith is composed. I'll tell you what, I married that because I can lean towards this one. Faith is like a rock. Fear leads to doubt. Faith leads to trust. I just don't know. I just don't know if I, hey, 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 trust. We got this. God's going, fear speaks discouragement. I just don't even know. I mean, I don't even know why. I mean, it's not even really worth going on. I mean, I'm never going to make it. I mean, I don't even know why I should. I mean, I'm probably going to, we just get so down. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been just like so sad? You're like, oh my word, I am so sad. It's like you get out of the car and you go, come on, smile for people. Smile. Hey, how you doing, man? Good. I'm so sad. Fear speaks encouragement. Fear speaks encouragement. Fear chooses to dismay. It just, it, that's, it's usually, if, if fear has a choice, it's taken dismay. Fear chooses to obey. You want an ark? Build me an ark. Okay, God, this is really big. Thus Noah did. Is it possible, whatever storm you're facing, the real thing you really need to do is not try harder or I've got to, I've got to be more like Christian-like. It's none of that. It's actually none of that. It's just literally obey. God's word's been given to you and the call in the storm sometimes is simply to obey. Now, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what brought you in here today but there might be somebody facing a storm. And I wanna encourage you today before you leave. I, I, I've gone through some seasons in my life where I was really dreading a test result, <laughs> okay? When you start getting things like EKGs and stuff like that, young people, you don't want single letters. And it, you start talking about this stuff, it, it's tough. It's, you get to certain seasons of life where you don't know what's going on. And to be transparent with you, when I get into those moments in life where I'm in a storm and I don't really want to tell people yet and I'm just kind of in the middle of this thing and it's kind of bearing down on me and I feel the stress in my body from it, I start questioning, am I, this is going to happen? Is it even worth doing that then? God, are you done with me? All these things come into your head, okay? I wrote down six things I say to myself. And, and, they, and the first time I journaled these things, six things to say to yourself in a storm, I titled it Blessed Assurance. Just blessed assurance. For, for I love this quote. Stop telling God how big your storm is. Here he knows. He knew it was coming before you were born. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. Stop telling God how big your storm is. And start telling the storm how big your God is. If you have a little God, the storms are massive and they're going to bury you. If you have a massive God, you will stand on his promises despite the thunder rolls and the lightning strikes. So, these are my six blessed assurances. They're mine, you can't have them. No, you can have them, they're scripture, they're for all of us. That I say to myself, and that I wrote in kind of a dark place where I was waiting something that I dreaded was not good. So, they were written from a heart of kind of struggling emotionally, all right? God will give me hope. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's like David saying, why am I so depressed? Soul, why are you so sad? Come on. He's like talking, to soul, come on. Hope in God. You're putting your hope in other things, soul. Hope in God. God will give me hope. I'm going to get hit with this storm. It's going to be rough. It's going to take a million different doctors and embarrassing procedures to figure this all out. God's going to give me hope. God will go with me, Deuteronomy tells me. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be this. Isn't God so encouraging? He's so encouraging. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm already going ahead of you. What? How many of you, when you're a little boy or a little girl, if dad said, hey, let's go in that room, I'm going in first. We'll follow him in. That's right. Let's go on in there, dad. Shake him up. If dad goes, ah, you go, what, what? And I'm that father who does that. But if God says, hey, hey, 
I know you're going through a trial. I'm ahead of you. Let's go. Come on. Come on. And I picture him and I write, God will go with me. I'm nervous about this, God. I'm kind of anxious about what this will mean, but you're going ahead of me. Third, God will use this trial. This, he doesn't, God doesn't waste pain. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God's going to use this. This is not going to be a waste. God will love me through this. Why is this important? I have heard brothers and sisters of Christ when they're facing tremendous health struggles going, I, I, I just, I, I mean, I really feel like I was living for God though. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You're just looking at this as punishment? I was like living for God though. Hey, God loves you, man. God loves you. You're his child. God's gonna love you through. Who needs that? Who needs you right now to hear that Holy Spirit go, hey, I love you. I love you. You're on earth. This is a sin cursed place. We are going to have trouble. But I love you. Know therefore the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant, his promises, and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You know that God loved me while I was still a sinner? He died for me while I was still a sinner. That means Chris wasn't like awesome, so God's like, man, I want to be his savior. So I didn't bring anything to the table. So why do I think after I get saved, I have to bring something to the table for him to love me? I don't bring anything to the table. Who needs you to hear this? Who needs this? Jesus loves you. But I'm a, Jesus loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. God's going to love you through this. God will send me comfort. Second Corinthians, praise be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we are ourselves receive. Any comfort I get when in a trial, I'm supposed to give it to somebody else. Chris, I'm going to comfort you so you can comfort somebody else. I believe part of the reason I went through this trial and wrote these so that I could give them to you all. God will send me comfort. Crazy timing of an encouragement note. The appropriate moment I needed a text. A friend stopping by going, hey, I just wanted to say hi, let you know I love you. Like, God, I see you. And then finally, God will be my strength. I don't have to tackle this storm in my own strength. God, the battle belongs to you. Behold, the God of my salvation, I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You know what an ark is? An ark is a chest that carries salvation. Noah, Noah carried salvation of his family through that ark. Because of his righteousness, they got through that storm, right? Do you, do you know who else got carried in an ark down a river? Yeah, the same word for ark is used for Moses in his basket. The ark of the covenant. God is my salvation. See, see, when we go through storms, some people see a storm and some people realize they're in an ark. And so I write, at the end of my journal entry, I wrote this, sing blessed assurance to yourself. Because I don't know, there's something that brings me peace with that. And you know blessed assurance? Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Help me out. Let's do this. Jesus is my. Let's close with this. Oh, what a. Heir of salvation and purchase of God. Born in his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Lord, we see that storm on the horizon. We see the lightning bolts. We hear the thunder. And God, we're concerned because there's people we love that we're not sure are going to be on the ark. They've been forewarned. We've been long-suffering with them. But we're concerned, Lord, because you told us a storm's coming. And your kids are fine. We know your kids are fine. 
But Lord, we're praying for those who might not be and are just not heeding the call. But Lord, we're not in control of that. You are. So Lord, may we be faithful voyagers that keep building, keep erecting that ark, keep building a life of faith, keep preaching faith despite the people we love may be flat out ignoring us. God, fill us with that storm faith. We need it. Encourage somebody today, God, that you're with them, that you love them. People will make bad decisions. Health struggles will come. Storms will rage. But you're a big God, and you're going to go with them through it. And no matter what happens, you will call them safely to your heavenly shore. And so, Lord, give us that storm faith along the way. For, Lord, many of us feel, as we look around, that the days of Noah seem to be getting closer and closer. And so, Lord, we persuade men from a heart of love, not judgment, to make sure they have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, our salvation. Amen. Mm-hmm.